I'll let you know. Good morning. Hey, a couple things. Uh, we ran out of lawn signs, and some of you were asking us to get more. We have more. So as you're leaving today, you'll see them by the door. Grab them. Yeah, it's been cool. I love driving around. I think I'm just going to start stopping when I see a sign and knock on the door and be like, who lives here? Who lives? Because I have no idea. I drive all. It's really cool. So uh, there's 100 more. They're just at the doors. Grab one on your way out. Put it in your yard. Uh, we have heard that one of the gross points, I'm not sure which one, is giving um, people little uh, citations. Yes, yeah, so they're not charging them yet, but tell them they have to take them down. You're only allowed to have them for seven days. So if they tell you that, take your sign down for seven days and then put it back up. I don't know, whatever you're allowed to do, don't break the law, or if you know you can't put it back up, bring it in, we'll recycle and put it in somebody else's yard. Great way to let people know we're doing the Saturday service. We still have a ton, well, maybe not a ton, I don't know that we ever actually had a ton, that's a lot, uh, but we have a lot more of these door hangers. We'd love for you to grab some door hangers and uh, hang those on your neighbor's doors. Just let them know that we have Saturday service. If you look around you, there's some empty seats. Every empty seat is somebody that doesn't get to hear about Jesus this morning, right? So uh, invite your friends, let them know. It's an easy invite just to say, hey, we launched this Saturday service, a lot of good things going on at our church. Come by and check it out, okay? So lawn signs, grab them on the way out. If you want some uh, door hangers, they're at the information counter. And uh, coming in October, I am super stoked about what we got coming for you, so check out this video. Soul care, not soul train. Let's watch this video. For years, I've been teaching principles of soul care. People come to me all the time and say, you know, I'm stuck in my spiritual journey. I can't make progress. I'm stuck in my relationship with God. I want more, but I can't get deeper. And so I've discovered some principles that Jesus teaches that are principles of the New Testament that can help us to experience depth, intimacy, and freedom. Think of your soul for a second like a suitcase. And if our suitcase of our soul is packed with things like angst and fear and anger, resentment, hurt, pain, and sin, we don't have any room in there for things like love and joy and peace. And the only way to create more space is we gotta unpack the suitcase of our souls. And if you feel stuck, either in your relationship with God or in your spiritual journey, these are pathways to freedom for you. It's great. So uh, October 19th through 21st, a group of us had a chance to go to Pennsylvania and experience soul care uh, the exact same conference that Rob is bringing here. It was amazing. We all got a ton out of it, and we immediately asked if there was a way that he would come and deliver it right here on our campus. Uh, so he's coming. I think it's $99. You can just register on the website. Uh, it will fill up. I guarantee you it will fill up. Um, it's not full yet, but I would encourage you if you want to be a part of this. Uh, yes, you may have to take a day off of work, but I'm just telling you it's well worth the time. Uh, Rob is on to some really good principles that will just help you uh, in your journey with Christ. It will help you if you are a person who helps others navigate their faith, it would be really important for you to be there as well. So October 19th or 21st, register on the web. We would love for you to uh, be a part of that. If you are here this morning and you have a smartphone, uh, that would be all of you except for two or three maybes. Uh, we would encourage you if you're part of Facebook or Twitter just to check in and let people know you're here. 
Uh, it's just a great way to let the world out there know that God's doing something in here. But feel free to take out your phone, check in. That would be awesome. Hey, we're working our way through the book of Colossians in a series that we've called Enough is Enough. And uh, we started it last week. So grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, grab the Bible from under your seat and turn to the book of Colossians. If you uh, remember last week, I said that I would love for you to bring whatever Bible you use at home. Uh, take notes in your Bible, bring something to write on. Uh, but if you didn't, feel free to use the Bible under your seat. So we're in Colossians. We're still in chapter one. And one of the things I want to do before I read our passage is just kind of um, uh, talk a little bit more about the letter itself. The, the reality is whenever we try to understand what the Bible is saying, make biblical interpretation, we really need to start by understanding the context of the passage. If we know who it was written to, if we know why it was written, if we know kind of the, the climate of when it was written, it helps us to make a much better understanding of what it is we're trying to interpret. What I say all the time is you really can't know what the Bible means unless you know what it meant to the original reader. So there's, there's a need for us to stop and to remind ourselves of the context. This letter in particular was written to a group of followers in a city called Colossae, and it was written to encourage them because they love each other well, but it was written to admonish them as well. And that's a harsh word. We don't use that word very often, but it's the most fitting word. It was sort of a, a letter to, to help them to get back on track in their walk with Jesus. What we know to be true is there was something amiss in the church in that city, that they had added something to the gospel, that they had gotten off track in their following Jesus. And like I said last week, we don't know what was wrong. We don't know exactly where they got off track, and that's to our advantage because we all get off track. We all get to the point where we need to, to realign ourselves to Christ. And so the fact that we don't know exactly what it is is a good thing. Uh, but they had added something to the gospel. It's something we call syncretism. And we're all guilty of syncretism. When I say we, myself included, where we, we add something to Christ. So it's Jesus and good works, right? Or it's Jesus and just a little bit of luck, right? It's Jesus and... And that's what we do. We elevate things to equality or sometimes even above Jesus. And so that gets us in trouble. And so this letter is written to help us understand that we need to elevate Jesus to the, the highest point. So last week I used this enormous soul cube. If you remember, it was a puzzle that I wasn't capable of putting together. So I had to ask John to help me. Um, but what we talked about was in the beginning of Colossians, this prayer that Paul writes is if you keep your eyes focused on Jesus, that there are seven outcomes that come from that, that you'll be discerning, that you'll know what God wants you to do. You'll have a clear understanding of what God wants you to do. And if you have discernment, then you can be faithful, which is over here, right? That you're faithful to do the thing that God has called you to do. So we know what God wants us to do. And then if we keep our eyes on Jesus, we're going to do those things. And then over here is the word productive, which if you look at that prayer is the word fruitful. I know what God wants me to do. Now I'm doing what God wants me to do. And so I'm fruitful in what I'm doing. The, the next outcome was that you would be maturing, right? That you would be growing in your faith, that you would be getting more and more knowledge of who God is because you're in the sweet spot of what God has made you to do. This is really a, a picture of your life coming together and having purpose and all the pieces of your life fitting together naturally. And as you have purpose, then you're empowered by the spirit. And as you're empowered, then you, you have more thankfulness in your heart and you, you're more grateful for all that God is doing. So it's this beautiful picture of what happens when we keep our eyes on Jesus. So that was last week. 
And so this week, Paul is saying to the church, look, it matters who your Jesus is, right? Because if you're worshiping a Jesus that isn't the Jesus of the Bible, then all of this isn't going to happen for you. So it matters who Jesus is to you. So if you're worshiping a really good man who just was a great teacher and maybe even a prophet of God, well, that's not the biblical Jesus. Or if you're worshiping an angel, well, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. And so Paul stops and he says, look, all this is for you. Your life can come together. The pieces of your life can fit together so perfectly if you keep your eyes on Jesus. But then he stops and says, but let me tell you exactly who the Jesus is that you need to keep your eyes on. So that's the section of scripture that we're in right now. This is probably one of the most uh, vivid descriptions of Jesus. This is what we call Christological writing. And it it tells us more about Christ maybe than any other singular group of passages in the entire Bible. So we're in Colossians 1, verses 15. We're gonna read all the way through 23, okay? Colossians 1, 15 through 23. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Verse 21. And you, that's all of us, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in your faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and in which I, Paul, became a minister. Let me pray for us. Lord, thanks for this incredible passage of scripture. Uh, I am incapable of unpacking all that is in here in the next 25 minutes. And so we just ask that um, you would go before us, that you would soften our hearts, that there would be seeds of truth that would take root and begin to grow uh, and bear fruit a hundredfold. Our prayer this morning is the same prayer that we've had week after week, that we would leave different than we came, that we would not be content to play church, to check a box, that we would come and that we would interact with the living God and you would bring about transformation in our lives and we would be better husbands and better fathers and better friends better mothers, better wives, better people because of the transformational work that you have brought about in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So most big biblical scholars agree that verses 15 through 20 is probably a hymn 
or a creed that the church that Paul was writing to, Paul the apostle who wrote this letter, uh, that they probably knew it. So it's kind of like sometimes when I'm preaching and I pull the lyrics from one of our songs out and I use that as a teaching point because I know all of you know these lyrics, all of you have sang them long enough, you know how many lyrics, you know, it's actually amazing how many lyrics we know, but there's something powerful about the lyrics that we commit to memory. There's something powerful about what we sing or a creed that we memorize because it helps to indoctrinate. indoctrinate. So I don't know if remember we talked about worship uh, quite a while ago and Norflet was up here and he said these words uh, that I've never forgot. He said, music has the power to indoctrinate you without your permission. What you listen to, what you commit to memory is, is indoctrinating you. It's, it's, it's helping you to, to, it was not helping you in all cases, but it's causing you to believe a certain way. And I'm amazed at how much we've memorized. Like some of you would say, I can't memorize scripture. But if we were to sit down and listen to the oldies station, you could sing all the lyrics to all the songs, song after song. I mean, if we just wrote all those songs out, you'd be amazed how much you've been able to memorize. So this is something that the people have memorized. We don't know if it's a creed. We don't know if it's a hymn, but most scholars agree they had memorized it, right? And so the part of what I want you to hear this morning is that your, your inner creeds are important. A creed is just a statement of set beliefs. It's aims that guide someone in action. What you believe drives your action. Actually, if you want to know what you believe, pay attention to your actions. That will tell you far more about what you believe than what you say. And hopefully those two line up. That's what we call integrity. But, but sometimes we say we believe things, but our actions totally contradict what we say we believe. So, so here we have a creed. And if I were to name this talk, I would name this talk the need for a creed. We all need an inner creed. And why do we need a creed? Because it's something we come back to when what we believe is being challenged. So when somebody knocks on your door whether they're wearing a starched white shirt and a tie or they're carrying around something called the watchtower, they're gonna tell you something about Jesus that is contradictory to what we're teaching today. And it's important for you to know who is Jesus. It's important for you to have a solid understanding of Jesus is because there is a lot of people who are going to try to pull you away from the central truth of Jesus. And it's not even people that are trying to pull you away. Sometimes it's just your own doing to get away. So we need some type of creed, some type of understanding. And this early creed is, is a beautiful thing for us to lean into and for us to know. So Paul opens in verse 15. He says these words, he is the image of of the invisible God. The he there is capitalized, so we know he's talking about Jesus. And I love this, this half sentence, right? This is the beginning of the creed. This half sentence could very easily here be an entire series at grace. We could think of a, all the attributes of Christ and we could say, take each one of those attributes and we could teach where we find those in the gospel, where we find those in scriptures, and then we could help you to see that every one of those attributes of Christ are the attributes of God because he is the image that we can see of the invisible God. So when we see Christ and the way he moves towards the unlovable, that's the image of God. When we, I, I think like when you read the gospels, if you were to engage your imagination, and picture Jesus, like picture Jesus when uh, the woman who was caught in adultery was brought to him, if you remember that story, right? And, and just, just think about his compassion. Think about his gentleness. Think about his forgiveness, right? How he offered forgiveness to her. Think about how he probably reached down and took her hand and, and stood her up and said, go, I, I don't condemn you either. When you read that story, it's amazing. We get to see who Christ is, but 
but it's the image of God, right? Jesus came. He said, I came so that you would know the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. If you see me, you see the Father. I came to make the Father known, right? So Jesus is the image of the invisible God. I love the way the writer of Hebrews puts it. It, Again, it says, he, capital H, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, the exact imprint of God. It's a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. So then this hymn or this creed continues and and the entire hymn kind of hinges on or or swings on all of these statements that that have the word all in them. When I say all, I'm saying A-L-L. So if you are a writer in your Bible, some of you are and some of you think that's crazy, uh, it's okay if you write in your Bible, but if you are one of those people who write in your Bible, I would encourage you right now between 15 and 20 to underline, highlight, or circle all the times you see the word all. In most of your translations, you're gonna see the word seven times in these verses. Well, this is kind of the, the poetic nature. If we were back to read it in the original language, that word becomes kind of the hinge for the flow of this creed that helped them to remember it. So what I'm gonna do for the rest of this morning is I'm just gonna walk through the seven all statements and use that as a way of helping us to understand who the Jesus is that helps to bring all of these pieces of our lives together, okay? So the first one is, he rules over all creation, verse 15. He is the firstborn of all creation. Now this can be really confusing because if we used firstborn, what do we usually mean? We mean the firstborn. So if I said, hey, my firstborn is, you guys would all say, Chad. Oh, yeah, Chad's your oldest son, right? So, so there's, a, there's a, a misconception here that, that what he's talking about is being born. But this word is used 170 times, just a little under 170 times in the scripture. And every time it's used, it's not used to talk about birth order. It's used to talk about position of authority, Right? So it's not he is the firstborn, the first to be born, because Jesus wasn't born, which we're going to see as we unpack the creed. He was born when he was, came as the baby, but he existed before that. So he's not that he came into existence. He's not a created being. That's an important thing that we're going to see this. So firstborn can confuse us unless we understand it is a position of authority. So probably the clearest place we can see this, you could see this word throughout the Old Testament uh, in, in Psalm 89, 27 which is a messianic psalm. I would encourage you maybe tonight or tomorrow just to read Psalm 89 in its entirety, and you'll see that it's a messianic psalm. It's a pointing towards the coming of Jesus, but it says, I will make him, Jesus, the firstborn, the highest of the kings on the earth, right? So people already existed, so it's not firstborn, first to be born. It's, I will make him the king, the first over all kings, Lord of lords, king of kings. That's what we're talking about here, okay? So first, he rules all, over all creation. The second all statement we see says that he created all things. Look at verse 16, for by him, all things were created. So when you read the Genesis account, right? So you go back and you read Genesis 1, you're gonna see uh, the, the passage says, and God said, let there be light, right? And there was light. And God said, let the, the waters, the expanse of the waters be divided. And there was land. And God said, let vegetation form on the land. And there was vegetation. Every time you see, and God said, that's Jesus. Jesus is the word of God that spoke everything into creation. Why is that important for us to understand? Because with just a word, Jesus can cause all of creation to come into existence, all of what we see, all of what we know out of nothing, 
comes with just a word from Jesus. So whatever problem you're facing, a word from Jesus can be pretty powerful to bring about what you need, right? So, so Jesus is the word. So when we read in the Gospel of John, what does it say? It says that in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. And through him, the word is Jesus in this case, through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made. Right? So he's the creative force. He's the the word of God. He's the voice of God that brings everything into existence. So first, he rules over all creation. He created all things. And the third, all statement is all things were created for him. Verse 16, all all things were created through him and for him. And what's the difference between created by him and created for him? It means that creation, all of creation... You, me, all of creation, heavens and earth, visible and indivisible, thrones, powers, rulers, and authorities were created to be in complete subordination to Jesus. That he, that was created for him to rule over all of creation. For him here is a position again of authority, all right? So he rules over all creation. He created all things. All things were created for him. Verse 17 says, and he is before all things. And this is a hard one. So the word before there in the original language is a bit ambiguous. It actually is in our language too. So before could mean uh, in reference to time, right? That he came before all things or before could mean a positional of authority again, right? So before can go both ways. Like we could say someone is before all these people, that they stand in, in, a, in a position of authority over these people, or they, they were the first ones to arrive, right? So, and in this case, I think it's most likely referring to Christ's pre-existence. I'm sorry. <laughs> Either wants to stay or he really wants to go. It's hard to say. So we're pretty sure if we look at the text that they're talking about Christ's pre-existence. This is how we know that Jesus wasn't created that Jesus isn't an angel, that Jesus wasn't a created being, that he always was, that he always is, and that he always will be because he was before all things. He's beyond time and space. He is a glorious part of the Trinitarian God that we worship here at Grace and in the Christian faith. Okay, so he's before all things. Verse 17, the fifth all statement. And in him, all things hold together. One of the authors I read, I love this, said that it's because of Jesus that we have a cosmos and not chaos. Every cell is held together by him. The stars stay in place because of him, because of his current activity in the world. The sun is the perfect distance from the earth to sustain life. I mean, it's, it's crazy to think that just a, a mile difference, a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of the sun moving and it would be too cold or it would be too warm. The amount of oxygen that's in the air, the way our bodies work, everything is held together by Jesus. Just think about that for a minute. Everything is held together. He is the thing that makes all of the sciences work. Everything we know, everything we see is held together by Jesus. That's so powerful. One of the things that struck me when I was doing this message is, so I think, I don't know that I can say this clearly, but I think because we're 2,000 years later, it's easier for us because we see Jesus in all of the context of what we've been taught. We, we see him as a man, but we see him as God. We see all of this. But imagine 
being a first century reader, imagine being the, the original reader. Some of the people probably saw Jesus do miracles who were reading this, right? He, he, he was well known. People traveled from all over just to see this man doing these miracles, right? And now here's this creed that's talking about Jesus saying, look, this man holds the entire universe together. How hard would it have been to wrap your mind around that concept? This man, come on, he was there before creation? Come on, he's the one that spoke the world. I know he was cool, like he could do some really powerful miracles, but come on, you're just, right? I mean, think about it. Like it's, I think it's easier for us to get there than the first century people who saw him, knew him, or knew somebody that knew him. He was a guy. And he wasn't just a guy, he was a guy that was killed by the Roman Empire. The evil Roman Empire took him to the cross. That's why when Paul writes, the cross is a stumbling block for the, for the Israel, Israeli people, for the Jewish people, because no God gets killed on a cross. So imagine them hearing this creed. Paul's saying, look, you can have all of this, but you gotta have your image of Jesus in the right spot. Imagine how hard it would have been for them to believe this man spoke the world into existence, and his current role is to hold all things together. Pretty amazing. But the other thing we have to think about is if, it, if, if Jesus has the ability to hold the entire universe together, I think he has the ability to hold our lives together, to hold our marriages together, right? To hold our, our work environment together. That we, this is a picture of the power of Christ and, and all that he is and all that, that he can do. And, and Paul wants to make sure that we know it's a cosmic reality. So he talks about the, the rulers and authority. He talks about physical and spiritual and all of that. But then he even says, and it, it doesn't just reply to that, but it applies to the church. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the one that holds the church together. And that's much bigger than the church here at Maras and I-94, it's the church. Everyone who is a believer in Christ is a part of the church, and Christ holds his church together. Look at the second part of verse 18. Hopefully you still have your Bibles open because we've got a ways to go. Second part of verse 18 statement uh, says it fits all together, or it doesn't fit into the altogether statements, but it's one we still got to unpack. He says, he is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in him everything might be preeminent. Preeminent just means supreme, that Jesus is supreme. But it says here he's the firstborn from the dead, and that is another confusing statement if we don't take a minute to unpack it, because he's really not the first to be resurrected, right? If you know the Bible, there's some other dudes and dudettes uh, right? Lazarus was raised from the dead, right? Jesus went in and, and raised that little girl from the dead. We see people being raised from the dead in the Old Testament. So he's not the first to be resurrected. So we know it's not saying that because the Bible isn't going to contradict itself. So what exactly is it saying if he's the first to be resurrected? Well, here's what we need to understand is Jesus' resurrection was different than Lazarus' resurrection. It was different than the little girl's resurrection because the little girl eventually died, or at least we assume she has because I haven't met her. Lazarus eventually died. If he was still alive, we probably would have bumped into him somewhere, right? That would be a story to tell. He'd be 2,000 years old. Crazy, right? But Jesus is still alive. So, so Jesus' resurrection is different than the resurrections that came before. As a matter of fact, Jesus' resurrection is the resurrection that points towards eternity, 
Jesus' resurrection is the resurrection that we will experience when we die. Like if we are followers of Jesus, we talk about the resurrection. This is a, this is a good uh, funeral sort of talk. We talk about the fact that we have hope because there's going to be resurrection. Jesus is the first of this new resurrection. So one of the writers that I love, that I read a lot when I'm studying, is a guy who has a very unfortunate name, Douglas Moo. I don't know, he probably should have changed it at some point before he became a writer. But anyway, this is what he says, and I love this. He says, Jesus' resurrection is different. The resurrection of Christ initiates this end-time resurrection. His resurrection guarantees and indeed stimulates the resurrection of all who follow. He is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. If you remember, I don't know if you picked it up when, when uh, Norflet was reading the message. It says he leads the resurrection parade. It's kind of a cool picture that he is the first in the parade of all who will be resurrected after him. So when you read the Gospels and you read about Jesus in the post-resurrection, there's something of the image of who he is that informs of, of what our resurrection will be like. We will actually have physical bodies. We will actually be able to move. Jesus actually eats. He actually can be touched, right? All of that. So there's something about our resurrection that's, that, that is clearer when we see Jesus, Okay. Verse 19, back to the all statements. Uh, so it starts with he's ruler over all creation. He created all things. All things were created for him. He's before all things. In him, all things hold together. And then verse 19 says, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All of the fullness of God, God's word, God's wisdom, God's glory, God's mercy, God's spirit, God's power, all dwells in Jesus, as a matter of fact, he's the image of God. He's the perfect imprint of God. And it pleases God that all of that dwells in him. But said in a different way, only Christ can bring us fulfillment. If you're looking to be fulfilled, the only place to find it is in Christ. So when we have some type of trauma in our lives, and maybe sometimes it's not even a trauma in our lives, uh, there is a void in our heart. There's a, there's a hole that takes place, right? And we find all kinds of creative ways to fill that void that we have in our lives. Sometimes we do it through eating. Sometimes we do it through chemical uh, <laughs> help, whether that's drinking or something else. Sometimes we do it through sex. Sometimes we do it through work. We find all kinds of ways to fill the voids that we have. It's kind of what Rob Reimer was talking about, that we have these, these voids and we fill them with the wrong thing. Until we get those things out of there, we can't really be full of the spirit because we've brought all these other things in. And what this passage is saying, which I love, is that in all those attempts to find fullness, it will always leave you wanting because the fullness we are seeking can only be found in the person of Jesus. The fullness that we need can only be found in Jesus because all the fullness of God dwells in him. Isn't that powerful? So the last all statement it comes out of this creed. So it's, it's, he rules over all creation. He created all things. All things were created for him. He's before all things. In him, all things hold together. In him is the fullness that God was pleased to dwell. And then the last one says, through him to reconcile to himself all things. All things means we need to go all the way back to verse 16 where it says, all things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, thrones and dominions, rulers and authority, 
everything, the entire cosmos is brought back into its rightful place because of the cross and the blood of Jesus. Do you get that? So something happened on the cross that put Jesus in its rightful place as the ruler, as the one who is before, as the one who is over all of creation. Everything is now under Jesus' rightful place. The universe is under its rightful head and peace and the kingdom of God has returned. There's a word in here that I just think is worth unpacking. It says, through him, to reconcile to himself all things. The word reconcile means to exchange hostility for friendly relations. Think about that for a minute. When we think about reconciliation in our lives, it's to take something that's hostile between us and to exchange whatever is hostile for friendly relations, right? And so the passage says that Jesus came and he is reconciled in his body through the cross us to God. It says that he's reconciled us so that he can present us as followers of Jesus, holy and blameless, above reproach before him. Jesus came to take whatever hostility was between us and God and exchange it for friendly relations. That's good news, right? Can you hear me, right? All right, I need a little feedback once in a while to know that you're still there. All right, Jesus is indeed all. He's our hope, he's our salvation. Apart from him, we can do nothing. He's what holds the pieces of our lives together. He's what removes the hostility and establishes friendly relations. So we have the seven all statements up there. I want those just to stay up till, till the end of the service, but Paul writes in verse 23, continue in your faith, be stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. What's he saying to him? He said, look, all of this is for you, but you have to be steadfast. You have to be focused on the right Jesus. You can't be moved away from, from thinking the wrong things about Jesus. You have to have a right understanding of Jesus. He's saying, this is your foundation. And if you are leaning into anything else, then the pieces of your life are not going to come together the way you want them to. We need to get to the place where we recognize that Jesus is the Lord, that Jesus rules over all things, that Jesus holds all things together, that Jesus is the only one who can speak order into the chaos of our lives. He's the only source of being filled because he has got the fullness of God in him. We need to get to the place where we realize that Jesus came to make us friends of God. So the obvious question is, you got chaos in your life? I do. Is there a void that you've tried to fill in ways that you know it's not working? I do. Does God sometimes seem distant and far from you? What I wanna do is a way of closing and, and I'm always doing something different, so sorry about that, it's just the way it is. Um, I wanna pray through the creed. Uh, and so I want you to do something that may be a little uncomfortable, but I want you to take a risk. I want you to put yourself in a posture of receiving. So sometimes when we talk about that, all we're asking you to do is you can keep your hands on the arms of your chair, but maybe just put your palms to the sky, something different than like this, of just a good posture of receiving, and not only your physical posture, but your emotional posture too. Just say, God, I don't know, this is weird. Pastor Doug always does weird things, but if you got something for me, I'll take it, okay? That's a posture of receiving. So both physically and emotionally, be in a posture of receiving, 
And then I'm just gonna pray, and I just encourage you to keep your eyes closed and, and listen. God may wanna speak to you. So Lord, we just ask in your grace and your mercy. We ask in the power of Christ that this passage would become more than just words today. I ask that the truths would penetrate our hearts. Would you sear these truths into our very being? We, may we know them as truth in the deepest places. He is the image of the invisible God. So Lord, this morning we just ask that you help us to see your son more clearly. Help us to see your son more clearly through your word. Help us to see your son more clearly through the spirit of God at work within us. And as we see Jesus more clearly, help us to see you more clearly. It says, for by him and through him and for him, all things were created. Help us to understand that Jesus is the very purpose of our lives. Help us to see Jesus in everything we experience, everything in nature, in your church, in our families. Help us to continue to see Jesus at work. Give us spiritual eyes. Give us hearts to see. And in him, all things hold together. So Lord, this morning, we ask that you would bring order into the chaos of our lives. We ask that you would bring calm to the storms. I even just think about my time in the parking lot praying for a few people this morning who are experiencing chaos. Would you bring peace where there's currently chaos and war? Would you fix broken marriages? Would you heal broken bodies? Would you bring our family members to you? Lord, we just recognize this morning that with just a word from you, everything can change. So we just ask that you would speak a word over our lives, over our families, over our workplace. He is the firstborn from the dead. Lord, we just give thanks that you have risen. And we give thanks that we too, if we have put our trust in you, will rise again. And in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Lord, we just ask this morning that you would help us to lean into you, that you would be our substance. Show us how we're trying to fill ourselves apart from you. Show us where our ties are unhealthy and break those ties. Help us this morning to take hold of you and nothing but you. So this morning, may we let go of whatever that addiction is, whatever that thing is that we've been crying after or chasing after. Be something as simple as physical fitness. It can be our God to pornography, TV show we know we shouldn't be watching. Lord, there's so many things that we lean into to try to find fullness. Lord, would you just show us right now what we need to let go of so that we can take hold of you and nothing but you. And through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth and heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Just continue with your eyes closed. There are some in the room that know you're not reconciled to Jesus. You know as you sit there that there is distance between you and God. And I just encourage you to pray, Lord, I surrender. 
I surrender my life to you. I believe what Pastor Doug is saying is true, that you really are more than just a man. You are my Lord and my Savior. Just surrender. Just as Norflet said, take the risk, which really isn't risky at all, because he's the only one that can hold your life together. There's others in the room that just know you've wandered away and you need to come back. It's just a simple prayer. Lord, help me to return to my first love. Help me return to you. So Lord, we give this service to you this morning. We ask that this creed, this hymn would just be indwell and, and, and just infused into our very being. Help us to be steadfast. Help us to make Jesus our foundation as individuals and as a church. We ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So if you need prayer, we have a whole prayer team that would love to pray over you, pray for you. If God has stirred something in your heart as you sat there, come on down. We would love to just pray over you. God bless you. You have a great Sunday afternoon. You're welcome.